Hello and welcome again uh, to the Stafford Beer Brain of the Firm Reading Group with General Intellect Unit. Uh, this time we are beginning Chapter 18, The October Watershed. Uh, and I don't think the sec the section intro says very much about this chapter. Yeah, n uh, nothing of any note is said about this chapter in the uh, in the section intro, so we won't cover that. Uh, but uh, we'll get into it here. This is a this is quite an interesting chapter, uh, especially at the back half of the chapter, which I don't think we'll get to today. But I'm looking forward to getting to soon. Uh, so beer begins by describing uh, sort of the chronology, uh, where we're situated in the timeline here, and. Uh, Essentially, we are now at the point where Cybersyn has been uh, mostly launched, um, and we're looking at October of 1972 and the time period slightly following that. Uh, so Beer describes this as uh, it is the start of a new epoch. Uh, so he says, uh, as far as Project Cybersyn was concerned, the physical facts were consonant with the development program, given that the operations room would be late. Cybernet, the telecommunications network linking the socio-industrial economy of Chile, had been working since March and was gradually being improved. It was controlled from the communication center that was to serve the operations room, and the rubrics of its behavior were by now well established. Chilean built equipment for the room was nearing completion, 300 kilometers south of Santiago. Uh, two of the British built consignments had arrived, and the last came a few days later. All suites of computer programs were working as expected. Roughly 60% of all enterprises constituting the socio-industrial economy were by now included in the Cybersyn system, although many of the indexical time series had not yet been properly calibrated on Cyberstride. The managerial facts surrounding all this were, however, a different matter. The political situation had begun to deteriorate seriously in September. Fernando Flores was due to leave Corfo and to become Undersecretary of Economics. He had to bring Cybersyn, at least, into the political open. Accordingly, a day-long meeting had been held on September 2nd for a large number of people who were inside the project or connected to it through the Ramas, or who were politically involved. This meeting, held at Los Andes, had instituted a destabilizing change in the control of the project. Both he and I had spoken at length about the political intentions between the cybernetic science. These were, of course, the managerial purposes of the work from the beginning. But many of those working on the details saw themselves as politically neutral professionals, and some of these were distressed to be told that all future disclosures about the work must explicitly recognize the political intent. A few days later, I handed over the booklet Five Principles, with which Flores was delighted, and it became obvious that there would have to be major changes in the management team that was actually implementing the results of the cybernetics 
on which we had embarked a year before. We traveled to Europe together, although on separate missions, and discussed these issues all the way. Thus it was that back in Chile in October, with a sense of unease within the project growing to, uh, grown to alarming proportions, a new management team was appointed by the new undersecretary. Raul Espeo was confirmed as head of the scientific project Cybersyn. Enrique Farne, uh, whom I did not know, but would soon, but soon would very well, uh, was to be responsible for all cybernetic implementations. Hermann Sch uh, Schwember uh, was to be responsible for the wider implications, including these of international import. This was a man whom I knew very well indeed. He had always been in the core group and had remained in close touch throughout. This was, however, the first time that he had been given, given, been, excuse me, had been given specific duties within the work. My own role was unchanged, but the managerial team was now a troika. Each of the three horses was very powerful, but would they all pull in the same direction? Before we could find out, the worst crisis of the government to date broke upon the country. Uh, anything to say about this uh, section? Uh, Mark, go ahead, and then Jake. Okay, not not a lot, but uh, I I think it's interesting. It it's one of the things that shows uh, Flores's kind of meteoric rise. Uh, through this whole thing, it's kind of the first indication of that. But then, but otherwise, it's just kind of like, oh well, here we got to go. We got to got to go public at least in some way, and you know, shuffling the deck and hoping he can make progress on it. You know, not not too much more to add than that. Right, and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, I think you know, he's the way he's talking here. Kind of, you know, he's talking about like. Um, the political situation deteriorating and you know just it seems like it's like they up until this point i mean obviously politics were central to this like clearly this was a political mission and everything but you know it's easier to not worry about like the politics surrounding like administrative offices and bureaucrats while there's still a lot of work to be done because it's much easier to just focus on doing the work, implementing the thing, all that stuff. But then it's like the rubber meets the road. This has to go public and this has to start to actually impact people's lives. And now the political question becomes a lot more um, necessary to answer, you know, and you can't just sort of treat these things like they're neutral. Uh, not that, you know, he has been, I mean, he's been talking about this uh, in previous chapters of like the nece necessary political component to all this. But, you know, I think, I think, it's easier to paper over that stuff when there's a lot of work to be done, which I think is a, a thing that's sort of reflected in the current political situation we're in, where you can kind of move past a lot of the questions of who's in what position and what power they have while there's still all this work to even get to the point where those positions and the, those like power relations are existing uh, among the left, I mean that makes sense sure yeah i mean i think the the thing here is that you know beer talked about creating the five principles because he felt that 
the technology was not being sufficiently democratized. And obviously, once he starts to, well, not just himself, but, you know, Flores and the rest of the team, uh, the management team start to push in this direction of democratization of technology, the technicians, the professionals uh, become very unsettled because it's undermining their authority. Um, And they for the most part, are lukewarm on the idea of revolution. Um, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, but what, 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 what he's saying also is very reminiscent of, um, uh, of um, if uh, anyone's ever read um, uh, The Coup in Chile by uh, uh, Ralph Miliband, um, which is a really, really good, like, uh, postmortem. Um, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it goes into this, how, you know, like, uh, you know, just a lot of the civil service, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't totally grooving on things, you know, because, you know, like, uh, yeah, you know, Saying neutrality often isn't really neutral, you know. I mean, it's just the dominant uh, uh, ideology, and you know, uh, yeah. It, it, I guess it really does remain to be seen, like whether or not, um, I guess, in the ascent terms, whether System Five would have been able to, you know, propagate, you know, like like its values, like throughout the different layers of recursion. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like yeah, we, we like we don't really know what that would have looked like, un- unfortunately. Though I mean, there's also reason to believe that, uh, uh, you know, maybe it wouldn't, uh, yeah, it, it would have been a bit of a struggle. I mean, you know, like like the Bolsheviks had to deal with that. And then, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, and, you know, like, wind up just having to make some, can, yeah, throw them some bones, though. I mean, you know, often I, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is very hard to, like, figure out, like, exactly what it's going to be. Because, you know, even if people are going to resist you a little bit at first, you know, I feel like a lot of, you know, bureaucrats, like, uh, on some level, they actually kind of don't care exactly what they're doing as long as they just keep to, to get doing their, get, as long as they keep getting to do their jobs one way or another. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, there's also stuff like, um, you know, the soft coup in, um, Brazil with, uh, Dilma. Like, I mean, that was, you know, that, that like, uh, uh, like that didn't even get a chance to happen in Chile, but maybe it would have like, you know, we, we don't know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what you see with this isn't like, I don't know if it's a clear indication of, uh, the capitalist class character of the state, but it is, I think, an indication of the class character of the state, which is that, you know, the more they push towards the abolition of class society, the more the the the, the bureaucrats uh, become very uncomfortable. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like I, I get a really strong sense in this chapter of like it's not really quite the case that you you see the withering of the state exactly. It's also not really quite the case that it's it's, it's simply a question of smashing the state. There's something very complex going on here, um, but uh, definitely dealing with uh, a a very serious uh, problem. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, putting up on what you said about it, like yeah, the, the capitalist class character of the state versus the class character of the state, and those actually really being different things. You know, what like uh, uh, first thing comes to mind is like, uh, you know, we, in the U.S., we, we have the USDA and the FDA who both do like food stuff, and like the USDA like really is like 
like the perfect specimen of you know uh, the, the 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 Marx quote of like you know the, the 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 state exists as like you know to govern like the general affairs of of the bourgeoisie like it really is for the benefit of uh, uh, you know uh, capitalists big and small like a lot of that a lot of the grades and stuff like like those really are like just marketing and uh you know like 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 their goal is to you know help uh, uh you know uh, uh agriculture you know owners like make money well you know the fda is you know not well not necessarily like a totally democratic organization obviously has its problems with revolving doors and stuff is like it, it is a science-based like regulatory organization and obviously like that has its own class um, uh, interests but i mean like you know yeah I, I think like sketching out like the class composition of different institutions like this I, I think it's like that would be like an important part of like really like you know getting getting into the nuts and bolts of what to do with the state yeah i mean in the end it it becomes a, a question where like both both such organizations will be hostile to the revolution because the revolution is trying to abolish class uh, and you know, it's it, both both of them are both of these interests are hostile to that aim, uh, and that doesn't mean there isn't like some strategic differences between them. Uh, but we'll get into that more as we continue this chapter because this is this is really the the key question. That is haunting this chapter and and this this uh, period where the Chilean revolution starts to sort of definitively slip in failure. Um, all right, so uh, we have next uh, the section uh, the Gremio strike. So uh, it begins the Gremios were usually depicted by the English speaking media as trade unions. But they were nothing of the kind, and the Spanish word for trade union is sindicato. Perhaps the term craft guild, used in the medieval sense, captures much of the ter- sen- uh, excuse me captures much of the sense of gremio. In more modern language, no doubt Engels would have called these people petty bourgeois. They were, for example, the owners of small fleets of lorries by which the country's transportation system largely operated. They were also retailers, owners of local shops, and small distribution centers for daily requisites. The Grimios were insistent on the protectionist line. They saw themselves as threatened by the potential nationalization of transport and distribution under the government of popular unity. Indeed, they had the power to paralyze both these systems on a nationwide scale, and they had made half-hearted efforts to do so before. Their problem was that they could not sustain their strike action for long, and strike there in quotes, because they ran out of money. So, you know, this is this is not a capital strike, where usually it's like, oh, capital goes on strike, they have all the money, everyone else is screwed. These are petty bourgeois trying to go on strike, and, you know, they're usually more wealthy than your average proletarian, but not so much that they have a decisive advantage in resources. By the 12th of October 1972, a very strong action by the Grimios was in full swing. It seemed ridiculous because surely it could not be sustained. My log of the day of that day records this view. 
The small entrepreneurs are merely antagonizing the people they are starving of food. Cigarettes, petrol. Therefore, the government can safely act and have readily moved in the military. The people approve. The army prefers the image of the savior of, of excuse me, prefers the image of savior to that of stickman. But of course, it means that instability grows. Instability continued to grow. The president declared a state of emergency and appointed a military governor in Santiago. From the state, from, excuse me, from the rate at which the crisis escalated, it was evident that this was a serious attempt to pull the government down. Far from being a ridiculous gesture, it was a massive assault, and it was soon obvious that external resources were being made available in its support. Fernando Flores was appointed as coordinator of interior government. As the begetter of our work, Flores had a, master of the, a mastery of the cybernetics of the problem that faced him. However, he was conscious that the operations room was not ready. The disseminated network for governmental regulation was uh, excuse me, prematurely announced in the third of the five principles did not yet exist. On the other hand, the communication center was in smooth running order, ready to serve as an ops room. Moreover, CyberNet existed nationwide, although it had not been designed for controlling distribution. He moved fast. An emergency operations center was set up next to the communication center and divided into eight functional commands, transportation, food, and so on. <clears throat> One of our own people was put in charge of each. Similar centers were set up regionally on the disseminated uh, net model using CyberNet. Within 24 hours, messages were flowing nonstop round the clock at the rate of 2,000 telexes per day. This instantly posed an enormous problem in providing the requisite variety to handle such an inundation. Two of the senior cyberneticians organized a filtration system. Some signals were algodonic, requiring instant decisions, while others could be attenuated into elements of the pattern that establish the factual situation in real time. There are major lessons to be learned from this experience. The first group as illustrating the cybernetic principles of the national system, and the second as teaching much about innovatory praxis. The first cybernetic point is that the huge surge of information into the regulatory system operated as a negentropy pump. Instant communication loops sprang into being and instant decisions were available. This contrasted with the turgid operation of the bureaucratic system, the entropy of which was close to unity, as is so common. Secondly, the inefficiency of the existing distribution system had led to high physical redundancy, again as is normal in unplanned economies. Think of idle motor transport pools, railway marshalling yards, demurrage. The ability of the cybernetic regulator to survive the hostile action derived from the effective use of the few physical facilities remaining under the government's control. Thirdly, such a network as this exhibits that the very redundancy of potential command described in Chapter 15. Um, sorry. Thirdly, such a network as this exhibits that very redundancy of potential command described in Chapter 15. This not only helps to absorb proliferating variety, it is decentralizing and it is robust. 
Finally, it had at last been made dramatically clear that properly organized information deployed in real time is a major national resource. As to innovatory praxis, the lessons learned were very clear indeed. Let us first of all note that the cybernetic projects on which we were engaged had the full knowledge and support of the relevant ministers and managers from the president down. We had intellectual assent to the proposition that information constitutes regulation, and we had political commitment to the reorganization that would embody this principle. There were no complaints on either side. But it was not until the top officials and the socially responsible ministers were plunged into the traumatic experience of the Grameo battle, live with the problems nonstop, use the tools provided, however makeshift, and mastered the revolt that they fully and deeply understood. We really had been talking about a managerial revolution, and not about the introduction of some rather slick administrative tricks. It seems little short of a tragedy that this kind of experience cannot be had vicariously, although it can be pointed at. For those involved, perceptions of the management process radically changed. The crisis had come on the night of October 17th and had been survived. One senior minister said flatly that the government would have collapsed that night if it had not had the cybernetic tools. Meanwhile, the president had preserved his usual posture of calm reassurance. He was reported in a headline in El Mercurio thus, Allende, Chile no, Chile no esta la, el board de guerra civil. Uh, so the Times in London, under the dateline of Santiago, October 18th, uh, translated this, Dr. Allende said yesterday that the country was near civil war. Not only was it impossible to translate profound experience, the media reporting in Britain and North America systematically misunderstood the most elementary facts and the most elementary Spanish. So they, they reported the exact opposite message that uh, Allende uh, stated, right? Is He's saying, well, we're not, we're not at the... The, the verge of civil war, and then the Times is like, Chile, at verge of civil war. Um, I mean, they weren't exactly wrong. <laughs> it was just a little bit more time until the civil war than uh, they expected. Uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, the, they just, the, the dateline that the CIA provided them was just a few months off or something. Um, I think... Yeah, this I like this point, and it's like cool that they got this, you know, for all the obviously this terrible tragedy that it was cut short the way that it did. But it was cool that it got there was a chance for it to like actually put into practice and show that yes, it is actually successfully able to, you know, mitigate what would have been a disaster without without this. You know, this sort of central planning of this kind is is actually able to solve problems that you know, the market is not unable to solve, you know, whether or not it's a natural market. I use a many, a many, many air quotes for that. Um, and yeah, I also like sort of the part where he's uh, saying that, you know, it's like, a, it's a little bit of a tragedy that the experience can't be had. Like, it, you know, you have to have the experience to, to have the experience to, you know, you have to have the experience to really like understand it. And that's definitely like a case with, 
you know, many, many things when it comes to like a new, you know, to, when it comes to socialism, when it comes to like a new way of organizing society, people don't have the experience of it. And it's a radical break such that it's impossible to actually communicate it unless you like go through some level of having these experiences, which I think that's why I really like that. Like, I think it's the next section. Yeah. Next section where it's like talking about training and how to actually like communicate this stuff to people and, and the ways they go about it. Cause that, that really is the key thing, you know, like we can talk about how we want to make a new world. We can talk about the new structures we want to like put into place. But like when it comes down to it, you know, we're only going to be able to convince a certain number of people like without actually putting the rubber on the road and like putting this in practice and letting people experience it for themselves. Um, so yeah, I wish I could fucking experience something like this, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what the future holds. Um, uh, I'm, I, it's, I, I quite like this though. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, is, that's specifically, I think why beer is using the term praxis here to describe what's going on because yeah, it's, it's this, uh, you know, theoretical, practical development of uh, management, which is something that can't really be isolated from the experience of going through it. Um, this is why he's using the term praxis here and not practice. Uh, <clears throat> um, Mark, go ahead. Um, yeah, so uh, I apologize for not rereading uh, Medina's relative, relevant section, but uh, as I recall from reading that book, uh, this kind of this whole Gremio strike and using uh, Cybernet as the communication network, like that was kind of treated treated in some serious detail and just and also treated as like really the the one kind of really example of of parts of this whole system working because it, it didn't seem like Checo and Cyberstride got a lot of uh, love there. And then obviously, as Beer admits, they couldn't get the control room working right. So, uh, um, but uh, yeah, this is interesting. Just uh, uh, like, I'll, I kind of want to reread that and then just reread these, what, just like three paragraphs or something where he actually like describes the whole his you know puts it into this whole episode into his cybernetic principles and talking about uh you know that information as control or whatever it's uh yeah it's uh, <laughs> yeah so the more you understand about it like the kind of like more un unpacking of the you know how he kind of re recondenses it into his terms is pretty fascinating here yeah for sure um it's it's quite interesting because they kind of just took advantage of having the principles and having the network and that was kind of it right like the rest of the system of 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 uh cybersyn wasn't really uh core to um their their ability to overcome the strike it was really just you know having that ability to communicate information in real time and then knowing what to do with it um, exactly and yeah. being able to improvise there um uh shane go ahead yeah i kind of i get the impression that um the 
uh, where they got to was that like this, this sort of system one, system two components were more or less working, but they were kind of fairly banal, right? Like it's just so well, the figures are reported, they're tabulated, and errors are detected, and you send signals back down to the factories. Um, but that uh, in this moment of, with the strike, this is the point where you, you see the thing really spring alive, and you have the way, if I'm remembering the Medina stuff, um, it seemed that, that like people people were actually quite impressed with how this worked out. That like it was there was a sense of this social nervous system springing into being and actually moving at a faster pace than its adversary was, and actually effectively overwhelming it. Uh, which I could imagine was a very impressive kind of like sight or just like that that feeling of these circuits actually kind of drumming at, at, at high speed rather than just like, oh, look, daily tallies from a factory. The, 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 like the, the, the ordinary operation of system one, system two, and so on kind of isn't all that impressive because it's, it's routine. It feels like this emergency scenario is where it starts to go, oh, wow, hold on. This, this thing actually moved really quickly and automatically overcame its, its enemy. It's, that's pretty damn impressive, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's like seeing an Olympic sp- uh, a sprinter hang around the house and eat yogurt mm-hmm. versus, you know, actually going out and running a sprint. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, this this certainly impressed people. This is really uh, what got Flores his ministerial post, right? It made him a hero mm-hmm. for a little while, at least, um, because uh, and it, you know he he saved saved the nation in a sense. And this, I think, this is like a tantalizing hint of a taste of what could have happened if if the whole if the project had come to fruition properly. Like this, this is just the sort of peripheral nervous system doing its thing. Like this is absent a real system three and system four. Yeah, you can you can imagine what that would be like, right? They, to have like kind a kind of, of a social organism proper spring into being and, and move itself, right? You know? they, they they kind of improvised a system three, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like that that's sort of the the part where they use their theory, um, yeah, even to extend a system four, like it it was done, but it, it was very improvised. You know, mm-hmm. it's just making use of what was there reacting to a crisis uh, mm-hmm. but not fully supported by the infrastructure that was designed mm-hmm. um, and to some extent it had to be improvised because they were kind of dealing with a crisis beyond the scope of what cybersyn was just like designed to do um, it was it was really a matter of national political concern and not just a matter of economic regulation um, so it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a famous victory. Uh, I do appreciate that beer, you know, is at pains to point out that this was not a strike by a trade union. <laughs> and, and, and the, 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 the common, description of this as a union strike is really a complete misnomer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like saying that Best Western is a union. It's like, well, maybe (laughs) in the most technical sense, yes, it is, but not in any meaningful sense, like in terms of its 
socioeconomic status mm-hmm. and interests. So that has been a fairly common refrain, right, even now. It's like, oh, you know, the thing was just used to break a strike. <laughs> yuck, yuck, you know. It's like, yeah, you fucking fools. <laughs> it's, it's not a, not really a strike you want to be in, in, in favor of in this instance, you know. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a gross misrepresentation. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I remember having this conversation with Derek before, and I think I understand better now, like, how that's just it's just simply not true Mm -hmm. (laughs) like (laughs) uh yeah yeah we should definitely be taking a cue from this for like this this uh like it it didn't break a strike it it broke the back of a a section of the petty bourgeois right so i think there was there was an attempt at a reactionary strike slash coup or whatever and it was something that the this thing smashed it it was something that petty bourgeoisie couldn't have even achieved on their own Mm -hmm. right which yeah. is why they were caught off guard is because they were like, well, they're just a bunch of, like, small timers. <coughs> what are they going to do? Yeah. And then, oh, actually, they're getting an enormous amount of resources <laughs> from the CIA. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're actually contending with a rather different mm-hmm. organism than the one we thought we were. <laughs> yeah. And we should definitely de-emphasize the, like, oh, the whatever union aspect, whatever weird quasi-union aspect of that strike was there. And instead emphasize that this, this um, the way the system sprang into being as, like, a kind of proletarian immune system or whatever. Like, this, because yeah. this is the kind of weapon you want on your side, right? Like, a kind of essentially automatic immune response to fuckery from the bourgeois, right? And yet, years later, yeah. it is still presented as, like... The mm-hmm. ominous encouragement of state power, mm. and uh, you know, uh, basically how revolutions inevitably turn towards the state crushing the proletariat. Uh, mm. Really, just kind of a misread of what happened here. I, I think even like Medina seems to give a somewhat more ambivalent account of what is what happened, but I think reading the two together, yeah, it's. It's pretty clear, like, this is not as it's usually described. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's move on. So uh, the next is another interesting one. Uh, the problem of cybernetic training in industry. During the first half of, half of October, while the Grameo battle raged, I was preparing plans for the extension of cybernetic management systems to the enterprises. Um, as the paper issued on the 14th was called. We had been engaged in training from the beginning, see the first perk chart, but the subtitle of this paper was A Reconsideration in the Political Context. It was explicitly a response to the experience at Los Andes and proposed a new approach. Uh, Rudy, can you mute your microphone, please? Okay, thank you. Um, As has been explained, the project's OR teams had been charged with the need to explain, to gain help, and to seek approval at all levels of recursion in order to create the basic system. This was accomplished. The training problem now under discussion concerned the replication of the total system within each autonomous unit for all recursions. 
To this end, all managers and workers committees required a complete understanding of the theories advanced in this book so that they could recreate their own managerial systems. Much effort had already gone into this, but after Los Andes, it seemed that the two methods we were using might not be appropriate to the openly radical stand it was intended to take. The variety amplifiers that had been developed were based on respectable practice in industrial training for circumstances in which there is plenty of time and in which the major concern is to upgrade performance in an evolutionary fashion. Chile had very little time, as current events in that October were all too clearly demonstrating, and it had revolutionary intentions about the whole regulatory system. Many advanced countries have less time than they now think to accomplish revolutionary practices in relation to everything from energy policy to arms control, from national growth, uh, that's in scare quotes, to individual liberty. And they have not realized that the regulatory system needs changing at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, this was certainly true in 73. Uh, <laughs> it, it just a thousand times more so today. Um, Thus, it is worth recording the options for training as they appeared in the forced climate of the Chilean experience. The paper mentioned identified the two methods already in use in roughly the following terms. Uh, so the first was the method of prudence. Choose an enterprise, move in a team of people with the management's agreement to set up an internal regulatory system. Use this as a demonstration model to convey confidence. Use it as a training ground for the teams under instruction from other enterprises. Grow the work to a national scale. This is more or less the model that Beer describes in earlier parts of the book. Right? Um, when he's talking about introducing the VSM to a workplace. Um, this approach was used in two major companies with the primary purpose of discovering how to undertake the exercise, how to meet the aspirations of the workers, and how to help them to perform a more useful synergistic role while at the same time preserving autonomy for their own company. A series of intense workshops was held under the direction of Schwemba. Uh, the workers quickly grasped the problems of production and organization and linked them both to practical decisions and the political environment. They visited the operations room, which they found exciting, if somewhat overwhelming. It was impressive to see Dr. Allende move his formal location as President of the Republic to an out-of-town factory floor in order to participate. He showed his faith in winning the forthcoming election, as he subsequently did, and also his ability to discuss questions of supplies, foreign exchange, and organization on the shop floor. These experiences were very positive and pointed the way towards the genuine partnership between government and industry that has notoriously eluded us in Britain. But as to using the model as a training device, as a variety explosive that would seed the whole social economy, the idea was hardly realistic. It would surely take 10 years, even on the basis of exponential expansion. The, epi epide excuse me, the epidemiological model in which everyone catches new methods like the measles. 
uh, and that was not on our time scale. The method of selling is number two. Disseminate information, instruction, and enthusiasm outwards from an epicenter of good news. Make convincing presentations to sector committees, then with their blessing to the enterprises. Promote the product, provide visiting circuses. Essentially, this was the strategy in use. It was based on an excellent appreciation of the scope and scale of the problem, on a detailed plan of campaign, and a well-orchestrated set of approaches to management groups at each level of recursion. How often have all innovating professionals been told, you will have to sell the idea? But was this really the whole story for, for us? We were trying to transmit desperately needed tools and scarce computer power to workers' committees who were expecting help. Although there should be no coercion, although factory groups should be left with a genuine choice about their own internal organization, as distinct from their participation in the national cyber sin as providers of minimal data, we had a duty to offer something positive. What need of cajolery? We could be more forthright. Perhaps then, when the current program of presentations was concluded, all of that could be treated as a general briefing phase in favor of a different and novel approach based not on standard practice, but on strong leadership. Hence, uh, method three, the method of decision. Declare a campaign of national action to improve the quality of management, to advance simultaneously across the whole front, not therefore not quote-unquote prudential, as a matter of government policy, therefore not selling, um, take advantage of the Cybersyn management systems, package flexible recursive in the context of current economic pressures. Everyone knew that industrial management had been left in very weak state by departing owners, and the government could be criticized for not giving a strong lead. The idea was to set up a training center in one of the hotels owned by Corfo, and to mount intensive short courses of such panache and effectiveness that there would soon be a clamorous waiting list of management-slash-worker teams asking to come. The objective would be to effect a quantum leap in the managerial prowess of Chile within a year. To achieve this, the training program lasting 10 days would be largely automated. That is, a set of films would be made to be watched by 60 people at a time, and there would be carefully prepared supportive literature. This kind of reminds me of like the uh, training videos you see throughout uh, Control, if, ever, if anyone's played that. <laughs> where they're, like, explaining all of these uh, astral plane phenomena in these, like, corny uh, mid-century uh, instructional videos run by a scientist. Um, each course was to comprise 12 teams of five people with four fully qualified tutors, one to three teams. Having understood the basic cybernetics and the tools made available... Each team would work out for itself how it intended to proceed when it returned home. If it wished to run its own in-house program, say, especially that a sector committee might decide to run local courses for its component enterprises, thus becoming an amplifier, then the films and other course materials would be made available to it. 
Here was the powerful reason for automating the basic teaching, so that in the amplification of variety, information would not be degraded by inadequate transduction. This was the thinking behind the detailed plan, in which the course was timetabled and the coverage of 10 films was elaborated. They would teach the cybernetic language and principles of this book, but not the neurophysiology, and the written material would provide Chilean examples. Uh, I mean, I think that tracks with what our experience has been of reading the book, which is that, you know, some people were like, we could probably drop the neurophysiology section or simplify it. Uh, so apparently Beer had the same impulse. Um, the completed plan uh, claimed to capture the sense that we are engaged in an economic war. Current approaches look too leisurely and make too many concessions to the way things are done. If the workers can expropriate ownership, then science must be seen to come to their immediate assistance. If industry is in deep trouble, then the government must be seen to take dramatic action. As earlier remarked, these concrete plans resulted from reconsideration following Los Andes. I had already explored the various media for training in Britain and North America, and one British specialist in particular was anxious to make a deal, in return for facilities to make a documentary film about the Chilean process itself. But now the film question arose in a much more potent context than before. It was no longer a matter of having some films available to support the selling method of training. The new plan construed film as the primary transducer of a political as well as a scientific intent. Luciano Rodrigo was head of Chilean films, and he entered into the work with enthusiasm, extending the concept of course training by film to the more general context. Especially, he suggested, there should be a preliminary pre-course film showing enterprises the purpose of the training proposed. There should be a condensed film for refresher courses in-house, and there should be a version of the story that would interest and inform the general public. The only technical problems in sight for Rodrigo were the shortage of 16mm film and the absence of opportunity to process film quickly the absurd kinds of constraint with which we were all too familiar. He was silent on the political problems that I knew he would also face. I have gone into these plans in some detail here for a special reason. Training, as distinct from education, is conceived as a method of transferring established knowledge. For instance, there is a way of understanding how an internal combustion engine works and a way of teaching people how to maintain that engine in good order. Training is based on the very solid experience of the trainer, whose credibility as an expert is never in doubt, any more than the existence of IC engines themselves is in doubt. Training courses are therefore fundamentally conservative. They conserve established knowledge and reinforce its cultural grip by admitting new members, when they have passed the training course, to the club of experts in the relevant topic. In the field of management training, this conservative phenomenon is very noticeable. So noticeable, in fact, that training course organizers are usually at pains to insert one or two innovatory or speculative sessions into the program to avoid the charge of being dull or out of date. Since, that, excuse me, since such training sessions are, however, basically inimical to the conservative ethos of the training course, 
they are likely to be treated as cabaret acts intend to enliven an otherwise boring, if necessary, occasion, and are consequently often put on after dinner. Not only then is very recent knowledge not transferred, it is culturally branded as frivolous or impracticable or even uh, merit, excuse me, meritrix, meritricious. Uh. Uh, then how can major reform be affected by training? It cannot, according to this model. In the early 1960s, I had a reasonable hearing on the need to radically transform the British civil service, and I produced a plan for doing this based on a training school having a number of unorthodox characteristics. In the event, none of the features intended to break the conservative mold could be realized, and eventually the traditional staff college was created rather on the military model, hence the name. But the staff college solution to a strategic problem is the one that fails to work in the next war, since it is based on the best practices to emerge from the last war. Meanwhile, uh, everything has changed. The Chilean training plan made a conscious attempt to avoid this trap by placing total reliance on the new cybernetic system and the solutions it promoted, and by not discussing anything else at all. Then, the issue of credibility would be a central problem, and it is clear that only leadership, rather than pious calls for attention to better methods, could produce the necessary effect. We had understanding now from the ministers and politicians of the party in power, who were ready to give leadership, but we did not yet have unqualified support from senior government officials, many of whom were not, after all, supporters of popular unity in the first place. Uh, okay, let's go to Shane and then Boast and then Jake. I was going to make some sort of like joke about like is, is beer a communizer? But no, he's much more structured and deliberate than communizers are. But still, there's something here. But this really is remarkable. The, the emphasis on just immediacy and like that, like the transformation is the transformation. There's no transitional program here. You fucking do it. You reconstruct the fucking relations of production. Do it right fucking now. Do it as fast as possible. Also, forget all the other, the other, forget all the old horse shit. You don't have to fucking teach it. Just teach the new stuff. Really, really remarkable stuff. Um, and I kind of wonder, right? Like, because I mean, these later points about like the the conservacy of training, right? And that the need to bin fucking everything and teach the new stuff, but teach it through leadership, not just like a kind of imploring people to pick it up. Um, how does that contrast with, say, what we know of, like, I don't know, IWW trainings and stuff like this kind of things of, like, yeah, you can, you can get left experts in to talk to you about training, whatever. But, like, how would, how would Beer feel about those? Can we, can we kind of assess that? Yeah, maybe the, maybe the answers might not be as, as, uh, as nice as we, we'd, we'd like to think they would be, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love the emphasis here on, on the immediate and full flooding of the field with this stuff. Like it, it asked uh, instead of going shop by shop, sector by sector, um, this, this is the immediate transition that will take less than a year to, to go about. Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of like you go through um, formulation and then action. It's not so much that there's a transitional program so much as there are like a number of tra transitional programs, mm -hmm. like the creation of CyberSyn was a transitional phase. They did that. Problems became evident. 
they reformulated their strategy. They tried to implement that, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. wasn't implemented until the coup or uh, before the coup could finish. But um, you know, it's uh, there is absolutely an immediacy. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the communizer kind of immediacy, which is like it just happens immediately. <laughs> but it's much it's more structured also, than that. <laughs> it's also not like in five years we mm-hmm. will do communism. You know, or the or the indefinite deferral that you yeah, get yeah, with yeah, the Soviet yeah, yeah. and China and stuff like that's like oh well we had big roadblocks with civil wars and stuff we better punt it to like fucking thirty forty seven or whatever um, no beer wants it done by the end of the year you know um, it's about as short a transitional program as you can expect to really work in practice I think like what beer was aiming for was maximal speed and is is probably an indicator of the kind of timelines you can reasonably expect to to be the the kind of lower bound. On, on time taken. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, the solution was highly unrealistic because it didn't work. But in another sense, it was very realistic because he was ex- he was assessing the mm-hmm. degree of crisis that they were facing and formulating a program that was at least theoretically adequate to that degree of crisis. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, it, it was a, a using the theory to look at the situation and, and acting on it. Uh, OK, so let's go to Boast uh, next. I think one of my favorite things of uh, reading just through this whole book, actually, so far as uh, reading like Beer's nature in between the lines, like what type of person he was, what type of things he liked. And I think that his passion for film can't kind of be understated because we had this preceding paragraph where he's like, you only really understand things once you really get involved with them. And then once you get involved with them, you see that they're kind of messy. They have all this variety that you have to attenuate. But then in the next passage, he's just like, yeah, we're going to get 60 people in a room. We're going to show them the most perfect film. We're going to have the best supporting materials. And immediately they will not just have the knowledge of cybernetics, but the perfect intent to apply it perfectly. And I think that 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 must suggest either one of two things. Either beer has this like this fetishization for film um, which I think that we kind of saw earlier with that the the Canadian experiment that he was looking into to actually like interview people. Or at the time, film represented something more than it's actually being described in these pages, which makes me kind of consider like, well, what is what is its um, what is the modern day version of like what this technology represented to beer at the time? Like if we were to get 60 people in a room today, we couldn't just show them a film. Like how would we actually wow people into having not just knowledge of what we're trying to express, but this, you know, invigorating intent, which beer seems to be driving towards so fully. Well, I'm uh, displaying my professional bias here, but I would have to say it would be games. <laughs> and I, I actually have to agree with you there because uh, <laughs> all we need is the VSM in Fortnite, and the kids will be all over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my engineering team still plays uh, like uh, what is it? Uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, games are there. I think you just got to pick them up and make them a little bit more cybernetic. Yeah, I, I think beer is so. I was a little bit put off by beer's description of this training center. Like you basically make a little, you make a little cinema in a hotel, uh, repurpose a hotel as a cinema, and use that to uh, display these like you know um, instructional videos to the workers. Um, 
And I was like, well, that seems very passive. But he does actually talk here about there being like a moderation team that is working on this as well. Um, I think what he's going for is like a kind of optimal balance of like, because he's interested in speed, right? That like yeah. you have the minimum, the minimum but still viable number of moderators versus for the maximal but still viable number of uh, recipients and to, to kind of strike that balance, but with a bias towards speed. So he's probably cutting it a little bit tight on... Um, on resources, but yeah. I think it seems that he just has the the velocity in mind. In in better circumstances, it would probably be a three week course rather than just an afternoon in a hotel. Oh sure, yeah, no, uh, I just mean like you really need some trained uh, facilitators to run something like this. Oh yeah, or yeah, like a video itself work. You can't yeah. purely automate it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only. Uh, very good training session I've ever been in in my life uh, was uh, teacher training that was built on this model that was developed at University of British Columbia. Um, And it was run by facilitators who were very experienced, uh, very competent, Um, and had a program to run with, which was extremely well-organized. But they weren't... uh, They, for the most part, they were not lecturing us. They were just doing facilitation work. Um, And I think as far as lecturing goes, yeah, you could use a video for that, sure. Um, uh, And I understand what Beer is saying about transduction, right? Like... You don't want to just have someone go through one of these um, workshops and then go and teach an entire company how to do the thing without, like, you know, having a reliable text to use, right? Uh, it's why, you know, texts like the, like the Little Red Book could be so uh, powerful is because they're transducing information uh, in a, in a clear way, um, in a reliable way. Um, yeah. So I think there's definitely a role for that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it's just, I think he maybe overemphasizes the, the degree to which it's automated. Um, yeah. I mean, I made this, this huge, uh, instructional series on, the uh, role-playing game uh, Blades in the Dark, and it's been enormously successful. And as far as, like, refresher, the sort of refresher thing he talks about, I use that myself. Like, I I made the thing, and I still go back, I'm like, oh, how does this work? And then I just watch my own video on it. Like, that that's the value of the transduction you can get out of film. Um, all right, Jake, go ahead. Um... Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I like this section for sure. I like how it kind of goes through sort of these different, like, well, can we afford, well, you know, we can't afford to do these, like, like one-on-one kind of consultations and, like, just move from one to the next. So we have to figure out, you know, how do we mass, mass produce it, so to say. And then, you know, it's, yeah, it's clear, like, it's clear this isn't something that can just be, like, produced and sent out, you know, without, like, actual intention and thinking more behind it. You know, it's not, 
like like you said, it's not you can't just automate this, you know. I think and I think this kind of is part of why um, you know, this move to like online teaching due to the pandemic has been like a real down, like really terrible for like school and for like learning. Because yeah, people don't learn this way. It's like people or rather most people don't learn this way, I should say. There's always gonna be some people, you know, that it works best for, but like, you know, most people need those like in person like little subtleties, the social aspect, the you know, hands-on thing that you can do in classrooms. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's clear that our education system in the U S you know, and, and most of the capitalist world is not about actually learning. It's about reproducing knowledge and it's about send like just disseminating this to people so that they are, you know, they have the requisite knowledge to move on to the next stage or whatever, you know, it's not about like, understanding the concepts or internalizing them or like using them for novel purposes. Right. It's about like, well, let's just, you know, information onto you, but it's not about like, okay, so what do I do with that information? What, how do I evolve it? You know, what, what interesting things can come out of this, which is something that you kind of get as a side effect of all being in the same classroom, you know, and like having the potentially a good teacher or whatever. But um, that was just something you said that made me think of that. But, yeah, I really like this sort of this like method of decision, this sort of idea of like taking this hands on approach. And, you know, I, it also made me think of, I don't know, one of the first like episodes of uh, GAU that I listened to about the Metaforum conference and about the way that you described that like uh, that session where it was like one, you know, every person has a role and you switch from person to person, like as an observer or as an arguer or as a defender or what, I don't remember the exact things, but like, you know, that kind of thing has always made me think like there's, you know, there are novel ways and, and interesting ways of, of having group discussions or of learning things that is much more bottom up and kind of directed by the people who are like doing the learning, but constructed in a way that arrives at a conclusion that, you know, is, is um, not known beforehand, but like want the, the the conclusion that you want to arrive at, like a decision that you want to arrive at. I should say not like a premeditated, but you know, like you've got a direction you're you're aiming at. And so, like like in this case, it would be you know, you go through this thing, and then you arrive at the knowledge and confidence to implement this in your workplace. And and that's definitely something that is 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 necessary and and. Yeah, people, people for sure, I think, underestimate the ability to which, like, the the variety that exists in, in ways that we can do kind of trainings and disseminate knowledge. You know, people are very, like, it's, again, they're used to a certain way of doing things. They're used to a way of how things are done. And because of that, it's easier to just acquiesce to those methods than to think, well, okay, well, what's what's a novel, what's a new way of doing this? What's a, is this actually the most effective, you know, is there a better way? And, and I know I'm always thinking about like, how do we teach people things in ways that allows them to teach other people? How do we teach people, not just the, the knowledge, but also like the knowledge of how to implement that knowledge or the knowledge of how to feel like confident in conveying that, uh, or, or acting upon that, you know, and, and that's definitely like hands-on kind of teaching and it's like using real world examples and and actually like doing it you know i think is the real 
key thing, like being somewhere and, and doing the thing rather than, you know, again, like passively just consuming a video or, I mean, even a, even a game, like it, you know, it's, there's still some element of like consuming media that I think, I don't know. It's like, now I'm thinking of that, you know, there's that dichotomy that beer is trying to sh- like shatter with this book and with a lot of his books about like between centralization versus decentralization. It's like, we got to shatter the, the false dichotomy between consumption and uh, regurgitation, you know, or regurgitation is probably not the right word, production, I guess. Um, you know, it's like, we need to, we need to do something that both allows people to consume the material and produce new novel material from it to like advance collective understanding. Yeah, I think it's true. Uh, but as far as this program goes, I think what they were doing is like giving people the VSM understanding, but not really teaching them how to implement it. Because the implementation details were going to be decided autonomously at the system one level. Um, So, you know, that's why they're saying that it's so hard to push this argument because they're not relying on the, I know how to do this and you should do this like me dimension of expertise. They're just saying, here are the principles. You need to figure out how to do this with these principles. Uh, so they have expertise over what the VSM is, but their beer explicitly says that they are um, not including uh, like those kinds of like management program implementation details because they would get stale. So they're 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 like you know in the way that the VSM is an abstract model that can be applied to different things, they're teaching it as an abstract model. They're not teaching it as here is how you VSM. Um, so that's why they're like, well, we need to just rely on leadership and 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 setting a good example and providing the resources that are necessary to do this. Uh, because we can't rely on having a short course of clear ways to manage that we can just give everyone. Um, and it's, it's going to be reliant on their own initiative, uh, to, to a large extent. Um, so I think that's, that's, uh, you know, certainly not unheard of, but it is, uh, maybe a bit unusual, I mean, again, I feel like I experienced that to some degree in that teacher training course where it was like really, you know, everything we developed was either from our own initiative based on the principles we learned or based on a mutual critique of each other um, and discussion. So the facilitators were not really teaching us, you know... They gave us like, here's how you form a lesson plan and stuff. But that was just the start of it. And then we had to kind of fill out the rest ourselves. Um, It's a tricky thing. Um, I I, I don't know what the right way to do is, but beer seems to have quite a radical way of of presenting this. Um, Rudy, go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of on that same page. And I feel like sometimes, you know, you cannot only somebody teach uh, physics, so it's very easy to just teach problems or to just teach theory. And I feel like Beer sometimes just focus a bit too much on the general principles. While it does make his teaching a lot more permanent, sometimes you're like, okay, but give me something to grasp on. Like, I, it, we are having sometimes, at least I have a hard time sometimes processing what this would look like. And say if you don't even have an example of CyberSyn, how would you even think of something like CyberSyn? And like, it reminds me a lot of the book on war by Clausewitz where he's trying to teach general principles for military leaders. And he's like understanding that, you know, the same sort of horse battles won't be applicable today. And it's remarkable how well Clausewitz's own war has held for 150, 200 years because he's teaching those general principles and isn't focusing on horses when you have to date drones. But at the same time, you know, I am missing some part of the practical. And I feel like if I were to give my students just the theory of what I teach, and not two or three worked examples, they would not be able to apply these things on their own. On the other hand, they do realize these are way more complicated problems. And regarding on practice, like we do, at least in the tension we have, we have like basic training, which is like how to make a phone call, how to make that. And then as you spend more time, we try to teach the more permanent principles. And of course, we're always updating the 101. But, you know, we do try to have something like different levels. The more experience you get, the more abstract principles you're learning. And I think Beer is trying to do that, too, because he's talking to managers. He's not necessarily talking to someone who has no experience. Exactly. He's relying on the on-the-job knowledge that the workers and managers already have from their workplaces. It's, it's, it's not taking uh, students who have been brought up exclusively through the education system and saying, okay, here's these general principles, go run a factory, right? Uh, he's, he's, he's addressing people who already sort of know their business um, and, and basically relying on them to do something creative with the VSM because it's something he can't do because he doesn't, I mean, you know, he's consulted on a lot of stuff, but... He trusts them more than he trusts himself on this. Um, uh, Sheen, go ahead. Yeah, this this kind of um, autonomous implementation thing is the thing that comes up all over the place in beer. Like it's 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 a big part of the VSM, right? Like system one units are autonomous; they do their own thing. They do their own own thing in the frame in a framework of principles and general sort of behavioral coordinates, but they do their own thing um, because they are the experts on how to do it. Um, it's also comes up in his like explanation of like variety engineering like the example he uses i think a couple of times is that of like the rules of the road where um you you want to regulate traffic accidents down to zero essentially that's your your target value but a, a central government or like the department of motor vehicles can't like calculate the position and velocity of every car on in the road network um so in what they do instead is they issue general rules and rely on intelligent autonomous agents like drivers to apply the rules locally in in a situation, and it kind of turns out that's the only feasible way for that to work, right? Um, and that you know it's 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 mirrored here again, where it's like we're we're giving you the general principles of how to do this, but you are the driver. I, I I can't decide where your car is, but I can tell you the general principles of where it should be, and you have to drive the car. Um, and yeah, that that point about like these are going to like workers who. 
um, I, I could imagine, you know, would fairly immediately start to think of examples from their own work of like, oh yeah, I could see how that would work. You, you would pass the hammer over to Billy or whatever, and you know, it's 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 not not entirely alien to them. Um, the same as like when when I read these these books, when I've been reading beer, that the examples that come to mind for me are all from like software engineering and the various like the supermarket jobs I've had and working in a hotel. Uh, because that's those are the things I know. Um, I really like this model of giving people general tools and allowing them to apply them themselves. And I kind of wonder, like maybe um, the thing Rudy was talking about, like um, of starting starting the training with very concrete sort of stuff and then building up towards abstractions. I I don't think that's wrong as such, but I wonder if there might be value in inverting that and teaching the 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 abstract principles much earlier. Um, well, I mean, hypothetically, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Maybe in these concrete examples, it might not work out very well, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's the difference between, you know, this kind of training that Beer is discussing and then, like, training political cadre, right? Like, because mm. people generally aren't used to acting in a deliberate political fashion. Mm -hmm. And so they don't necessarily have the experience to draw on. So Yeah, I gotcha. Sure. So I think it's the distinction that Beer is, is drawing between education and uh, what does he say? It's training versus education. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes education is training someone how to do something, right? Right. Or, or sorry, I guess... Education is what he's doing with the VSM, and training is kind of, you know, that basic stuff, which I don't think he says – I don't think he believes is not going to happen. It's just going to happen in the variegated ways that are necessary throughout the whole system. Sure. Uh, uh, someone else running it. Um, uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, that definitely like, – that distinction – is important and and i you know i think he's also like the way he talks about training is like the old kind of method or you know like you get an expert who's the trainer and is conveying the knowledge to you the person who doesn't know anything um and definitely trying to like break down those bonds of like well you know you you have knowledge that you bring to this as well you know your prior experiences your particular knowledge will inform like how it's implemented, like you, like we were talking about, um, and so yeah, I like kind of hit like well, you're you're it's sort of like a meta training, you know, it's a training on how to like train the people that are doing the work in the implementing it in the particular context you're in, rather than like you know here is the here is the the one size fits all solution to every problem. Like no you need to conceptualize of the pro the problem in a certain way that allows you to figure out what the pro what the solution is you know and and definitely like beer talks about that a lot of i mean that's like right that's like operational research in general you know figuring out what the problem set is and actually how to solve it like you have to figure out what the what the problem space is before you can go about solving the problem and so to assume to sort of impose like here's the here's the context that you're in onto people is like clearly it's not the right way it's not going to like actually give them the tools they need you know it's like you got to figure out you got to train people in this sort of cybernetic way of of being able to analyze the situation um and yeah yeah and i i think 
uh, Shane, I, I don't know if you're away right now, but I, I think you um, have often mentioned, like, that the VSM is not about the particular flows that go through a system. It's about the control system. And I think this is kind of that similar sort of abstraction that's going on here. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 um, a different I, type of knowledge than the 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 uh, the, the know how about uh, how to do your job. Right. I, I think, you know, just to take this to the sort of context that I'm in and that other people in, I'm sure, you know, like thinking about what does training look like, you know, and like in the Marxist center as we're trying to build up. Mm-hmm. training and political education you know it's like the more interesting stuff is not so much the classical like well you know here's this reading group or here's this like pdf of how to do like you know canvassing or whatever it's like you know how do like how let's create the space for these discussions to happen let's create um you know space for people to like contribute ideas and work with people like on a more like personal level so that we can kind of have something that comes out of it that's not just these like classic reproduction of ideas because you know i think you look at like the kind of sect model and like mm-hmm. they there's this there's this tradition of here is how you know trainings work here's how political education works where you just kind of are are told the things that you need to know and then expected to regurgitate them and if you can regurgitate them correctly or in the right context then you you're a cadre you know it's like but that's not really teaching someone necessarily how to think critically and how to act in a political manner that gets us towards the end goal of, you know, communism. When, when you're in the real world, you know, it's like you have to actually be able to interact with people where they're at and, and, you know, all those like subtleties of, of interaction that you get through experience, you get through doing it, you know, and it's just a matter of like creating the space for people to do it with people who have, also done it like a lot and can like guide people in a, in a more, you know, not a hands-off way, but like, again, this more like meta level way where you're not so focused on the particulars of like, what does your city look like? But it's like, well, here are these tactics that can kind of be useful in these circumstances or these tactics that can be useful in other circumstances, but uh, like without losing sight of the fact that like ultimately anything you do is going to, it's going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to change it depending on your conditions and um yeah just not being like dogmatic about well this is the particular way that i learned how to do things and therefore you need to do it this particular way or you or you failed which you know is i think uh part of what leads to sort of this has led to this like ossification of the left in the united states or you know in elsewhere elsewhere as well but like obviously i can only speak to the united states yeah it's it's exactly the sort of thing that Buer is describing when he talks about like out of date management practices and uh, expertise uh, hoarding and professionalism. Uh, you know, part of the pro- part of the problem of having a cadre of professional revolutionaries is that they become professionals, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, uh, it's it becomes a somewhat ossified thing. Um, uh yeah uh shane go ahead 
Yeah, like absolutely that, right? That like the the point the the end goal of the sect model is not actually communism. It's just monkey politics, um, signification of group identity, sort of stuff, right? That like the the point really is just to replicate clones of yourself, right? Like it's not whether whether those clones are fit for purpose of communism. Fuck that. No, I just I just need people to parrot my ideas. It's worth it's definitely worth dwelling on this, like and and well, not, maybe not dwelling on it in this call, but like. Really thinking about this, that like Beer doesn't come in here with a flat cap and talk about fucking Trotsky or any of that kind of shit. And yet he, as evidenced in the later part of this chapter, I think he has a much clearer concept of communism and a much more immediate path towards it than any of any of um, the sectoid folks have. And he just he just fucking goes for it. And doesn't spend any amount of time debating whether some fucking Russian came off better in some debate or some letters exchanged to some asshole in prison, because none of that shit fucking matters. Like he just he just has this this immediate vision of human emancipation and just guns for it at maximum speed, um, and all that other shit's fucking irrelevant, you know. Yeah, I think um, I, it's definitely worth thinking more about. Um, what the appropriate way to train people is because it may just be a case of like this is the way that the VSM is taught in this kind of abstract way Um, but it may also be the case that (sighs) there is no level at which the transmission model of master to, to, to disciple is adequate, uh, because of change, right? Beer's big, big emphasis on change and change being the constant and needing to adapt. And if it works, it's already broken. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, again, I think it's that kind of, um, slippery sort of thing where like it's it's turtles all the way down you know it's like you whenever you're working at a level a given level of recursion the lower level of recursion appears concrete but when you get to if you're operating at that level of recursion there's a kind of abstractness to it so even if it comes like i mean i don't i don't expect that like people are going to take vsm principles and then suddenly come up with a radically different way of uh doing the carpentry for building a set of stairs right like you know like (laughs) you're still going to use the the Pythagorean theorem, you're still going to do the same woodworking techniques that have been developed over centuries of tradition. But I guess even there, there's probably, you know, room to adapt to change, right? Because you do have like changing tools, you have changing organizational arrangements, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's not purely like, you know, uh, Gregory of Lyon did this in the Middle Ages as a way to build stairs, and I'm doing the same thing. 
so yeah, it's I guess it's a matter of degree and it's a matter of uh, sort of treating the level of recursion you're working at in a fluid uh, and 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 in a fluid way and one that's oriented towards viability. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's like if you can teach teach proletarians both as individuals and as a proletarian machine, teach them to change. And you might not need to teach them much else, you know. <laughs> you 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 may not need to keep on instructing this through this master disciple kind of model. You just t- t- teach them how to dynamically figure it out um, for themselves, and um, the history will take care of the rest. Hopefully. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, no, maybe not. <laughs> things like things like safety first. I feel like that's that's a pretty good principle to teach people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Things like the right way to. Uh, operate a bandsaw. Uh, mm-hmm. You might want to teach people that. <laughs> like, I, I think there are things. <laughs> there are things that should not be done through mm-hmm. like theoretically informed trial and error. Mm-hmm, but certainly. you know, there's room for praxis and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I was thinking more at the level of this, like um, you know, like societal brain, right? Like a proletarian brain or whatever. Um, getting that kind of bootstrapped into operation, you it. it it's it, it it would seem to be a failure mode if you if one needed to keep instructing people in a kind of master disciple fashion even after the revolution or whatever you know that like sure. what you're trying to set up is that a a societal brain can then kind of become intelligent and dynamically figure itself out so that so that they don't have to come back to you for the next bit of like wisdom about oh what should we do now I was like I don't fucking know you you go do it you know uh, but yeah you're right like learning how to not stick a fork into an electrical socket or whatever is pretty pretty nuts and bolts stuff <laughs> yeah, or how, how to not cut into a live electrical line yeah I is, mean, there, uh, there, stuff that shouldn't be led up to adaptable chance <laughs> there's a lot of forms of work that are very dangerous and you mm-hmm. know disciplining workers into following a, a clear safety procedure makes a lot of sense uh because left to their own devices, people will probably get themselves killed or the other mm-hmm. workers on the job. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jake, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we got to attenuate the variety at some point. You know, like, we know this is not the kind of, like, we don't need people dying to learn this stuff. We can attenuate it to that point for sure. I do think, uh, I also just like, just to, real quick, because I know we're kind of like approaching the end, but um, I, I do think there is something to be said for like, you know, continual like exposure to kind of proletarian ideas and history just because of the fact that our society is like so set up to like indoctrinate, I guess, but that's maybe a little bit of a loaded term, but like it's so set up to like reproduce the sort of capitalist methodology, worldview and history that like it is necessary at some point to have like, again, maybe not this master student relationship, um, but like some form of continual exposure to these things like you know, we we want to get to the point where we do have that like true like proletarian like system five and like VSM, but like in order to get there, we have to make sure people like are still continuously like taking in perspectives and history and knowledge that has like that has already been like talked about and theorized and brought up. You know, so there is some there is some usefulness to like a political education in a sense, but like. It's just got to not be a, yeah, that kind of like rote um, education for the sake of checking off boxes. It's like, it's it's really got to be like stressed, 
I think while it's done that, like there has to always be a practical application to this. There has to always be a connection to like the proletariat, the working class, like the people struggling on the ground, you know, and you can't just sort of like abstract away from it because that's where you get that point where it becomes detached from like, well, what is the purpose of this? What is the point of learning this? It's to change things. It's to com- connect with people. It's to help them. It's to teach them. It's to get to the point where you can like, you know, bring them into this, you know, proletarian brain that we're building, you know, and to do that, it's just like, you've got to like, you got to constantly be firing those like, you know, um, working class ideas, working class history, uh, so that people don't, because like absent those things, the way that our society is set up, they'll, it'll like capitalism constantly, like will find a way to etch in there. So it's like, you know, you can't, I don't think you can, again, fully just like be like hands off once you've taught like them how to think, taught someone how to think. You have to still be like working with them and continuing to like keep that relationship um, extant so that, you know, they don't can like fall back into default modes of thinking, you know, that, that are just sort of passively bombarding people constantly. Um, you know, it'd be nice to get to the point where we don't have to, I mean, that that is communism, I guess, right? Where we get to the point where we don't have to constantly be insulating people against these like reactionary ideas because like our society is no longer constantly bombarding people with them. And like people aren't just passively cons- like succumbing to um, this bullshit just as a factor of living in society. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> whenever I talk to people these days about um my skepticism about going all in for biden on the grounds of like what happened to the cpusa you know that that the logic of that we need to support the democrats because of um xyz reasons and therefore, we as socialists should organize for the Democrats. I mean, seems kind of indistinguishable from the CPUS USA line. Um, whenever I express that that skepticism and like sort of point to history, uh, people just get furious with me. Um, and like, I understand there's other historical examples you could point to as counter examples of why you know you should block with the bourgeoisie. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to communicate, uh, something from the proletarian experience in the past. And I, whenever I try to do that, people always look like at me like a crazy man. So I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is a fine lo, 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 line to walk in terms of like, uh, yeah, for, for, for instance, I mean, like, uh, you know, wh- why, you know, if, if you're just a person in 2020 who kind of thinks that, you know, the way the world is, you know, working just isn't working very well and you kind of have an egalitarian impulse, I mean, why, you know, why engage with like the socialist tradition or cybernetics or whatever when, instead of, a, I don't know, the Venus Project or uh, effective altruism or, or whatever. I mean, you know, like, I, you know, I went with this direction personally because, you know, like, like a, there is something to, to, to be said for there being a tradition to engage with that's actually, you know, figured out some stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, on the flip side, you know, like I don't want to, you know, like hear endless replays of like which, you know, 
person in, in the second international was mad at who and for what reasons. You know, I, I literally don't care what these, you know, about some epic own that one, you know, SPD member, you know, wrote, wrote, wrote to another. I think, um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, like it's, it's, it's rough. And, and also like, a, um, uh, anyway, but yeah, um, ed- education wise, you know, like, uh, also deaths de- de- agree that, you know, like, uh, um, yeah. Work examples are important. I mean, personally, you know, I've, I, I watch a little instructional video. Usually it's like, you know, in one year out the other, like, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, being able to grab onto it with like a work example. I, I think it's just like super, you know, like important. And uh, yeah, and, 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 and it's rough to get with, with like training like uh, um, cadre or, 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 or whatever, because I think in a way, you know, like really it, 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 it is kind of like like the um, – uh, uh, the kind of figured out, the kind of solved skills that actually kind of are, are the most important to convey because, you know, the other stuff should maybe be free to vary. Um, uh, 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 well, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, what we were saying in the beginning, how, you know, l- like initially it was all just sort of system two stuff, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, just messages passing to each other. But I mean, like, that's the stuff, like, like all of the, the, those little things that, you know, like when it's working, you know, it's like, it's like electricity, you know, like it'll make your day, but you're, but you're not really thinking about it. Um, uh, like, like the fact that they had these clear lines of communication between all these organs, like, like that's huge. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like, like it's not a small thing that, that, uh, you know, you, you had um, uh, all, all, all these nodes that could just pass messages to each other and, and, and coordinate easily. And, you know, that probably, you know, that's the foundation of like uh, being able to be, you know, the, uh, 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 you know, the, the petty bourgeois, uh, strike. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just wanted to clarify that like um, I'm not against like learning our history or anything like that, and I think there's a lot of useful stuff there, and like there's a lot of useful stuff for like you get getting people to like put the dots together and connect and like connect their own sort of lives and that sort of stuff. But my objection is concretely to the way that this stuff gets kind of mutated into just like group affiliation signaling and stuff, which is what happens to all these Leninist fucking cults um, that and. The point, that, but the problem with that is that it's just it has nothing to do with human liberation. It's it's not a project of emancipation at that point. It's just these fucking freaks arguing about like some some weird letter exchange that is. And then you you go and you take that to your you know um, labor or tenant organizing efforts, and people just look at you like you've six heads and like what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Who's Colin Ty? Who gives a shit? You know. So that, that's that's the level of objection I have. Not that like not that there wouldn't ever be anything useful in studying that stuff. I mean, there obviously is, but making it a weird group affiliation thing that ends up excluding just being being a sort of weird literary group thing is um, is political cyanide. It's just it absolutely dooms our efforts to to abject failure when this when it takes root. Right. Uh, well, uh, on that note, let us conclude this session. Uh, we will finish up this chapter, I think, next time. Uh, and the, the, the final section here is, is really very interesting. So, uh, mm-hmm. should be a good discussion. Uh, thank you, everyone. Indeed. Thanks. See y'all soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.